I think in adoption circles, typically the baby of the family is like never put up for adoption. Like statistically, like it's usually the first child. And so, yeah, I think it made me then kind of question what makes you after having, you know, six kids decide to place the seventh child. So that was really hard for me. And then I kind of questioned, you know, do I want to bring up (laughs) these feelings again? Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and you're about to meet Gabe, who called me early one morning from Salt Lake City, Utah. Gabe is a black transgender adopted man in a family and community that didn't know how to talk about who he is as a person. After a tough time coming out to his adoptive family, Gabe's reunion revealed his birth parent's secret that their children had a full-blooded brother they hadn't known about. Now Gabe finds himself questioning where he belongs as he doesn't feel like he fits in either family. This is Gabe's journey. Gabe grew up in Jordan, Utah. He characterized it as a white, affluent suburb of Salt Lake City. Gabe had one older sister, who was biological to his adoptive parents, two older adopted siblings, one of whom was biracial, and then there's Gabe, a black man. From those circumstances, Gabe said he always knew he was adopted and growing up in a predominantly white community as a black kid was hard. Gabe pointed out that Utah is well known for adoption, and so there were a lot of adoptees around. Even though I had a lot of adoptees kind of in my neighborhood and around me and that I spent time with, yeah, it was definitely still hard to just stand out so much in the community that I grew up in. And it was very blatantly obvious that I was adopted. But yeah, I think it was really hard on me just because, yeah, like beauty standards were totally different. So it was really hard for me to try to fit in with my super kinky hair and my complexion. And so, yeah, definitely dealt with a lot of just insecurity and self-esteem issues and wondering, you know, where did I come from and how did I end up in Utah? So yeah, always had a ton of questions about those things. And then I don't think it made it any easier for me to then also, you know, be questioning my sexual orientation and questioning my gender identity as a child too. So yeah, so there was just things compounding on top of each other. Yeah, you you really had a mixed bag of stuff because, as you've said, you've got the immediate identification of yourself as an adoptee by virtue of the mix of the family inside your house. Then you step outside the house with that same family or alone, and you are racially separated from the community, and you're now also questioning your gender and your sexuality. That's a lot of stuff for a person to go through. Yeah, it definitely was. Definitely do not envy younger me. It was just tough. I think, you know, dealing with those things, kind of feeling like I was alone, like I didn't come from anywhere, which I think was a very hard, I don't know, sense of loss, I think, to deal with as a young person is just feeling like, you know, you didn't come from anywhere, like no one can prove you were born because the people who can prove it, you know, are sealed in documents thousands of miles away. So yeah, so I think it was hard to kind of 
deal with all of those feelings at the same time and then yeah have everything kind of on top of that and then not feel like there was anyone to talk to about anything and people that would be you know okay with you questioning those things so yeah so that was really tough and then i think you know just kind of having this underlying feeling of not wanting to be abandoned again and so just trying to like avoid that as much as possible so yeah it was a lot of stress for a young person and young child to go through it sounds like it yeah can i ask how was your adoptive family supportive of all of your identity issues adoptee lgbtq and racial so it was tough it's still tough i think you know my adoptive parents dealt with a lot of infertility which i think is true for a lot of adoptive parents who then seek to adopt so they had a lot of infertility things going on and i think it was just really hard for them to you know when they adopted me and then when they adopted my older brother too i think it was just hard for them to really understand what it would be like for a black child to grow up in a white neighborhood and a very white state and so you know like i think for them they thought they could handle it and i think they were told by social workers like maybe they could handle it if they treated me more white and they you know i think things that they told me in the past were like yeah the social worker told us like if we gave you a very white name if we dressed you in very white brands if we like chemically straightened your hair if we did all of these things like you would be fine and kind of be you know safe from hopefully racism and all of those things so yeah so whenever i would bring up any question about you know like why am i black and why are you not black or you know like where do i come from anything like that i think for them because their infertility stuff was still so fresh in their minds for them, it felt like a personal attack. And so a lot of the times, you know, I would ask a question and they would cry. And then they'd be like, well, we prayed for you and we, you know, really wanted you in this family and all these things. And then I, you know, kind of internalized that of then saying like, oh, whenever I try to ask questions about who I am, it hurts other people. So I need to keep these things to myself. I need to not involve other people. So that was really hard kind of racially to, you know, be dealing with racism as young as, you know, kindergarten age, but then not feel like I could even share it with my family because I knew that, you know, it would be kind of almost questioning the adoption in a way of like, yeah, like, why would you bring me to the super white community? And so, yeah, so I just kept it all to myself and didn't tell anyone about it. And then once all these gender and sexual orientation questions started happening, you know, kind of in fifth or sixth grade, I guess fifth grade, most likely. Yeah, it was really hard. And I wanted to, you know, I told them and then was promptly told to never bring it up again. Mm. And then, you know, it reached a point, I think, in middle school where I was just, you know, living a different life outside of the house than I was inside of the house. And I just got so paranoid that, you know, someone in my neighborhood was going to catch me using a different name or wearing different clothes. And they would then tell my parents and it would turn into this huge thing. So I was having panic attacks and I just was so scared. I think once again, of just being abandoned again and being like, yep, here's another family that you're losing and everything. 
but I told them and, you know, it was very hard that it turned into kind of a screaming match for like a couple of hours. And yeah, and then eventually I had to go to like a form of reparative-ish therapy. And so that kind of ruined our relationship mm. and my relationship with my adoptive parents. Cause at that point, you know, I'd been, had a childhood of trying to talk to them about race. And then, you know, I try to trust them with this other really big thing, hoping that, you know, they'd kind of learn to be more open and all those things. And then it just kind of backfired. And so mm-hmm. I think that I kind of decided like, yeah, you know, this is not worth the ongoing pain. Yeah. And so, yeah, that kind of ruined our relationship and it hasn't been the same since then. Since then, since fifth grade or since a little bit later when you actually clearly identified your sexuality, was it? Yeah, probably middle school. So that was like wow. 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And those are years when you need people the most, right? You're 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 trying right. to find your way to get to independence as a late teen, but in those you know, elementary, middle school years, you really need your support network around. And I'm sensitive to what you said about trying to come to them with questions about adoption and having them shut down and then, you know, they had their own pain and they would be in tears and feeling rejected as, you know, which is something I wanted to just push on also the fact that you were asking questions about yourself and because of their own right. situation, they took it as a personal slight against them. It was a question of curiosity and and looking for answers, and they took it as rejection. But I wanted right. to go back to what I was saying previously, which is you had identified that you were you were sort of challenged as an adopted person and you wanted answers, and they shut you down. Then you identified yourself moving in the LGBTQ community, and that got shut down. So it must have just been like – I'm closing all doors. Every time I say something, it gets closed down. So nobody gets to know anything anymore. What, did you find yourself kind of closing your, like everybody out? Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're definitely right. That's, you know, a very vital time in a person's life where, you know, they are kind of seeking even if not like their parents' advice about anything. I think, you know, adults' advice about things. So it's kind of like, yeah, I want to branch out. I want to kind of, you know, figure out who I am, but I need kind of that stable base that I know I can kind of fall back on. Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, not having that very much set the tone of my life where, yeah, now it's really, you know, as an adult, it's really hard for me to open up and be vulnerable with other people because in my mind, my knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, this is going to, you know, push them over the edge and they're going to stop talking to me or they're going to, you know, abandon me or all of these things. So it's so much easier for me to just say like, you know, I can deal with this on my own and just go that kind of super hyper-independent way. Because yeah, I think, you know, there were really big questions and I was really just trying to understand, I think, kind of just the vital question of like, yeah, like, where do I come from? And who am I and all of these things. And I think when people, you know, internalize that as a personal attack on themselves, you know, you kind of just stop asking and then you, or at least you stop asking externally, but then you kind of are forced to create a second life almost separate from other people. I want to go back to something you said that the 
advice from the social workers was to, you know, treat you white, try to make you look white, dress you white. And that whitewashing advice is, it's actually shocking to me and not surprising. I don't know. Do you recall feeling like this, this doesn't work for me, like this whole hair straightening thing? Like, why do I have to do this? Do you, do you re- recall feeling the, the whitewashing being something that wasn't comfortable or was it that you were so deeply entrenched in a society that was, you were surrounded by white folks that it felt normal? Yeah, it was tough. Cause I don't know if I noticed it necessarily as a child. Cause I think for the most part, yeah, I had like braids. I think my, my adoptive mom, you know, went to, one of the black families that was in the neighborhood, which was like the only black family in the neighborhood. And yeah, she like learned how to, you know, braid my hair and everything. But yeah, you know, there were a lot of years of you know, chemically straightening my hair and getting, you know, burns on my scalp. And yeah, but I think the hardest thing about that wasn't necessarily the, you know, like clothes and all of these things. I think it was the kind of impression that you know there's a standard of beauty that you need to reach and you know I was so far from that standard of beauty because it's like yeah I do not have blonde hair I do not have white skin I don't have blue eyes but I think it felt like you know I was kind of being pushed to pursue this thing so even at a young age you know I was convinced like yeah when I turn 18 I'm going to get my skin bleached because that's like pretty and like white skin is desired and all these things so yeah i never felt like attractive growing up i never felt like oh i'm beautiful and all of these things so yeah i think that was the most damage that had happened from it but yeah i don't know if i necessarily knew it was going on i think a lot of it was just very unconscious because yeah i was in a community that did not feel comfortable talking about race in any form and so i think a lot of the messaging i got was yeah kind of this unconscious and really really subtle things so i think it kind of just like didn't catch on my radar that that's what was happening but yeah it wasn't until like reading my adoption papers and you know listening to my adoptive parents talk about their experience going through the adoption that i was like oh yeah you were basically coached to make me as white as possible because it would be one i think easier for them to have a black child who you know acts white and is treated as white but yeah i think also the social worker was you know this was an era where i think it was the you know your child is a blank slate so you can make them into whatever you want them to be and so i think the social worker also was just you know misunderstood that you know that's not true and that yeah, kind of just going towards the default of just like, yeah, treat them like they're white doesn't actually work in the real world. Right. Can I ask, how did you get along with your siblings? You've identified that you have three older siblings. One is biracial, one is white, and one is white biological to your adoptive parents. How did you and your mm-hmm. siblings get along? So I'd say the three of the adopted kids got along really well. And yeah, I didn't think a lot of that was just, we were the closest in age. So like my brother is, uh, I think a year and a half older than I am. And then my sister is three or four years older than me. 
And then the older sister who's biological to my adoptive parents, I think she's like 15 to 20 years older than me. So yeah, so by the time I got to the family, I think she was in college at that point. And so, yeah, so we didn't really have a super, at least like my perception of it is I didn't have a close relationship with her just because of the age gap. But I think her role and kind of how she talks about her role is that she was like the second mom of the family because she was just like so much older than the rest of us. But yeah, I think those dynamics definitely made it hard. I think it made it hard to see, you know, an older sister who looked like, you know, our adoptive parents who had like act like full access to her medical history and all of her genealogy and everything. And then my adoptive sister who had an open adoption. And so we grew up kind of with her birth family around for major holidays. Hmm. And then my brother had a also had a closed adoption, but then his birth mom changed her mind and wanted to contact him, but then he didn't want anything to do with her. Wow. And then there was me, who was just like very curious, had so many questions, and had a very closed adoption, and did not have birth parents who wanted to open up that door. Yeah, that must have been tough, because what you've just said is everybody around you had their parents in some form or fashion, everybody but you. Yep. Wow. That is really tough. Yeah, I could see then why you would be in a position of constantly thinking about your adoption and your identity because like, it's inescapable in your own home, even mm-hmm. amongst your siblings and their family relationships, parental relationships, then out in the community at school, you know, going around to community events or whatever. There's You have no escape, no reprieve. Gabe's family wasn't comfortable talking about his adoption, even though their whole family was created through adoption. He was an outsider as a black kid in a predominantly white community, and Gabe was exploring his sexual identity, which wasn't supported by his family either. His only support came from his friends and the LGBTQ community outside of his home. He said all of it was confusing messaging for him because throughout our lives, we hear messages about how families stick together. Blood is thicker than water, and all of the emphasis on what family means. But he didn't experience those ideals in his own life. In his view, he had a birth family who didn't want him. He lived a period of time with a foster family, then landed in an adoptive family, all of which skewed his views of what family is. He wanted to have a connection with his family, but for him, families were a place to be rejected. I asked what it was like to live a separate life in the LGBTQ community outside of his home. So I think when I was telling them these things and then they would kind of shut it down, I think part of me was like, oh, yeah, well, this is what families do. They just kind of like abandon you and they kind of just ignore you when they don't want to deal with you or they get rid of you again. So I think it was hard on that. And then I think it was tough to then, you know, yeah, have this totally other persona outside of the house where people knew like I was trans and people knew I was queer 
and have them be, you know, totally loving and totally accepting Mm -hmm. and then compare that to my family life and be like, okay, these are strangers. And like, these are people who are obligated to, you know, provide me with love and acceptance and they're okay with this. So like, why is my adoptive family not okay with this? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so it got me kind of, you know, just kind of questioning the, like their motives behind adoption, adopting and kind of, I don't know, kind of if they had were really, really stuck in this mindset of, yeah, you can mold your child into whatever you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And if they don't come out as you want them to be, then that's the fault of the bad genes or it's their birth parents' fault and like all of these things. And so, yeah, so it was really hard to, it's hard and it was very disheartening, I think, to get all that love and acceptance outside of my house and then you know being inside of my house was very much just like nope don't bring any of that here Mm -hmm. um so that was really hard and it was also just very confusing yeah i can imagine and i imagine in the places where you did get that love it was a lot right because there are other lesbian, gay, trans people out there who are having similar struggles in their own homes. So when you are able to find each other and be supportive, it's a lot of love, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, it was like teachers and, you know, all of these people. So then I think I found that, you know, there are adults who are not bothered by this. And but yeah, I think, yeah, it was just such a confusing time to just like not have that support and then I think you start questioning one identity and then you typically question the rest of them and so I think it was just a very confusing time of just you know thinking about my race thinking about where I came from thinking about my gender and my sexual orientation and just wanting some sort of home base that I could just like talk to and it just wasn't consistent and so yeah that was hard (laughs) Gabe went through a lot, but I want to make sure you caught something. Did you hear Gabe identify as transgender? Gabe was assigned female at birth, then transitioned to male. When I asked at what age he transitioned, Gabe said socially it happened in about second grade. He started going by a new name in school at that time. Then, around 19 years old, Gabe began his medical transition. I was blown away by how complex this additional layer of Gabe's search for identity truly was. Wow, then you, man, you went through way more than <laughs> than we've even identified here in the beginning. I thought that the coming out was homosexuality, but which mm-hmm. is challenging enough for people to understand. But I would imagine right. it was probably even more challenging for your parents to recognize that the person that they adopted actually identifies as a somewhat different person. I don't know. And I hope you'll forgive me for not using the correct terminology in the space. I'm trying to be sensitive to it. And I want to learn from you as well. So anywhere that I need correction, please do that. But that must have been just a complete, I mean, I didn't even think there was another layer. And yet you've (laughs) said there is another layer. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so tough because it's like, I don't know, especially baby things. Because, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we adopted this beautiful baby girl. And, you know, we have these, you know, little pink bows that you used to wear and all of these things. And, and yeah, and I think it's especially hard, too, when, you know, they adopt you and they give you a new name, maybe. And, you know, it has a lot of sentimental meaning to them. Mm-hmm. And then you 
go and change it. And then they have a lot of, you know, feelings about that and feel kind of personally attacked. And so, yeah, so being trans also kind of complicated my adoption search. And it also, you know, just kind of made it a little harder, added another layer, as you said, of my adoption journey. Gabe has already shared that he always had questions about his birth family. Luckily, his adoptive parents had given him all of their non-identifying information about his birth parents, which he kept in a red folder right next to his bed. In 2014, Gabe was preparing to move from Utah to Minnesota, so he wanted all of his important documents, like his social security card and his amended birth certificate, and more. At his parents' house, he went through some of their documents, searching for items he needed, but he found some additional information he wasn't expecting. Attached to his birth certificate was a little piece of paper with handwritten notes on it that sparked his curiosity. There were dates, flight numbers, and the names of his foster parents, information he had never seen before. He assumed all of the information had something to do with his parents picking him up from Ohio, where he was born. In the midst of the move, Gabe forgot about the piece of paper. After the move, the information on the paper popped into his mind one morning. So Gabe joined an Ohio Adoption Facebook group, just shooting his shot with little hope that the search process would yield any results. When Gabe was younger, he had written letters to his birth mother and taken them to the adoption agency, hoping so much that something would develop. But it never did. I just lost the hope very quickly and very young. So I tried not to get too excited about this search and process again. But I posted in there, I said, hey, you know, like, this is my birth date. Don't know what my birth name was. And, like, I found this post-it note, and it has this date on it, which could be a birthday. It could be not a birthday. I don't know. And probably within, like, five minutes, I got a private message on Facebook. And this woman was asking me a couple of follow-up questions. So, like, oh, did your birth mom, like, move to Ohio when she was pregnant? Or, like, where were you born? And did you have siblings? And all these types of more nitty-gritty questions. And then probably five minutes after that, she was like, well, here's your birth mom's name. And, yep, that was her birthday. Oh and, gosh. like, here's all this information. And here, here's information about your siblings. And I was like, this is all so overwhelming. Because, yeah, it was one thing to, like, see a name of a person who I kind of just had, like, an image of, but then kind of couldn't imagine, like, oh, yeah, this is a person who has, like, a life and who has a name and a birth date. And that I had siblings, which I had no idea. And so, yeah, so that was, yeah, the end of, I think, 2014. And, yeah, that definitely... So, so yeah, like finding that note, if I hadn't found that note, I would not have been able to search at all. So it kind of was very random. Mm. And then Ohio, I guess I was lucky that I was born in Ohio because then their law opening up adoption records for adoptees, I think between 1964 and I think 1996, I think that law went into effect, I think six months later. And so, you know, I had all this information. And then I think once that law went into effect, I was like, okay, well, I still want to try to get my record so then I can kind of just make sure that these are the right people. So, yeah, so that's what the 
beginning part of my search looked like. <laughs> that is incredible. And you found this note completely by accident just because you were moving and you needed documents. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Completely by accident. Unbelievable. Imagine if you hadn't been moving, hadn't needed those documents and had never found that note with all of that information. That's really incredible. Gabe waited seven months to get in touch with anyone in his birth family. He expressed some guilt over making contact because he recognized that people keep secrets and his return as a full-grown adult secret could be a violation. He didn't feel like it was his place to stir up issues in other people's family. Then, Gabe started experiencing poor health, and his doctors told him they could really understand things a whole lot more if they had some family medical history. And I was like, yes, I get it. This is like the story of my life is trying to find family medical history. So Gabe had reached a point where his poor health almost required him to reach out to one of his siblings. Gabe sent his biological brother a direct message on Instagram. He said he sent this introductory message during the era where catfishing or setting up a fake profile and staging a wild scenario to trick people into relationships for money or some other gain was a very popular topic on TV and in the media. Gabe knew it was going to seem random that he was reaching out to his bio brother, but he had to take the chance. He told the guy they might be related, hoping to keep a little distance with a softer touch than going in blazing with their direct relation. The man messaged Gabe back a few days later, and soon they were on the phone where Gabe explained everything from his adoption to that moment they found themselves introducing each other. Gabe's brother was nearly silent on the phone. Then he asked if he could call Gabe back. The following week, Gabe's brother called with his older sister on the line as well, and she announced that she was a lawyer. If Gabe's outreach was a joke, it wasn't funny. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't think it's a joke. Like, I wish it were a joke, but it's not. And she was like, okay, we'll call you back. <laughs> and so she texted me and she was like, yeah, will you send me pictures of you? Like what you look like? So I sent those over and she called me later that night. And she was like, yeah, I'm really sorry for like putting you through the ringer like that. She was like, we're just a really close-knit family and this is like a total shock to us but she was like oh yeah the second i saw your pictures like you look exactly like all of us oh um, so she's like yeah i have like zero doubt that like you are related so yeah so 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 what did that us, feel like yeah. when she told you that yeah i mean i think going from the mindset of like I don't come from anywhere and like, you know, I'm all alone and my family tree has like zero roots and zero branches to then being like, yeah, there's people who not just look like you, but there's people who are, you know, very close relatives who also still look like you was really hard to kind of imagine. And even now, sometimes it's just like, it's, wild to think like oh my gosh there's these people who you know we all look like twins <laughs> to each other and they're like out there like kind of living their lives and yeah cause i think in an abstract way it's like yeah you know we're all related to each other and whatever but to have people that you are so genetically close to and then you know just look so similar was wild and currently is still 
wild. Yeah. <laughs> was wild and still remains wild. That's pretty funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy when you when you make this link to other people that you've never known your entire life. And you, as I would imagine, as you've already said, have lived a life that didn't look like anybody around you, quite literally in the house or in the entire community. To have somebody say that you're definitely in this tribe right here, that must have just been mind-blowing. Yeah, and I think we spent a lot of time out of, like, texting and calling back and forth and saying, like, oh, yeah, like... I don't like these foods. Like, what are your thoughts about these foods? And they'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah, like none of us like those foods. Or yeah, so like food aversion things were the same. And like I had a pretty big gap tooth as a kid until we got braces and closed it. But um, yeah, like my gap tooth looked exactly like my birth dad's gap tooth. And it was like, yeah, like everyone had the gap tooth. And so, yeah, it was just like all these, like, not even only just like the looking like other people, but kind of the, like, even though I didn't grow up in the same household with them, like, we're all pretty similar to each other. And so, yeah, and it's just like these weird kind of, yeah, like food aversions and all of these other things that we have in common. And I'm like, yeah, this is something that I thought was kind of learned behavior and kind of learned traits about people, but I'm learning or kind of you know, might be a little bit more of the ingrained stuff inside of all of it's us. It's nature, not nurture, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's always astonishing to me to hear the things that are nature, the the yeah. traits. It's some things that you would imagine are transferable, but, you know, some of the things that you like and dislike, you know, would seem like they are based on what you're exposed to, when in fact, some of it is very much inherent to who you come from as a person. It's really wild. So mm -hmm. what was it like then? Well, tell me about your actual meeting. How did you get to a place of them really saying, you know, let's, I think it would be good to meet this guy. So the contact got made and then I think it took about four or five months for me to get my original birth certificate in the mail. And kind of at that point it was like, okay, yeah, both parents are on this birth certificate and everything so we've now kind of officially confirmed that we are all full-blooded siblings and there was kind of this period where you know we did want to meet in person and it was tough because i think in my mind i also had to balance kind of the what do i tell my adoptive family and like what do i feel comfortable telling them and so yeah i kind of did all this stuff behind the scenes and so funny enough, we actually haven't met in person yet. And yeah, I think a lot of that was, I was super busy with school and, and finishing up my undergrad. But after kind of confirming, you know, that we were all related to each other, I think there was just this like period where I had to like reconcile a lot of stuff because in my adoption narrative was very much the opposite of what the reality actually was and so i think you know i grew up thinking you know my birth mom had had a one night stand with a friend of hers and then i got like into the mix but that they didn't want to get married or all of these things and then it turned out in reality you know that 
yeah, like my birth parents, you know, were married for like a very long time. Um, had like six children before I was around and then only got divorced, I think maybe a couple of years after I was born. So yeah, so I think the narrative was really hard for me to reconcile with because I think in adoption circles, typically the baby of the family is like never put up for adoption, like statistically, like it's usually the first child. And so, yeah, I think it made me then kind of question like, yeah, like what makes you after having, you know, six kids decide to place the seventh child? So that was really hard for me. And then I kind of questioned, you know, do I want to bring up (laughs) these feelings again of, Mm -hmm. you know, abandonment and potentially being like abandoned again? And yeah, and I still was really holding on to this idea that, you know, this was her secret and that I didn't want to like encroach or anything like that. But yeah, finally, I think in 2017, I wrote my birth mom a letter and I just kind of listed out all the positive, good things that had happened in my life and the things that I was going to be doing. And I didn't hear anything. And then I think in 2018, you know, I found out that she had cancer and the urgency still like wasn't quite there yet because I was still very much the poet in her court, it felt like. And then, yeah, she passed away in 2019, so just three years ago. Oh, Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. So we never, so yeah, I never got a reply back to my letter. And I think that was very hard i think in most of the adoption spaces i was in at that point most people had had some form of like reunion and so i think it was kind of this i think having like a birth parent die or just not get a reply back or someone answer your phone call was still kind of a almost like tabooish thing that no one wanted to talk about that was that could happen as a possibility because obviously it's a very painful possibility. But yeah, so I didn't get to meet my birth mom. My birth father, I've tried contacting him multiple times. And yeah, haven't heard anything from him. And then yeah, I haven't been able to meet my birth siblings yet. But yeah, it's also, I think it's just tough too, because my track record with my, at least my adoptive siblings, like isn't so great. And so I think part of me is also going into meeting them very guarded of kind of like, oh yeah, family has screwed me over before. So like blood is still not thicker than water in my eyes. Yeah. So yeah. So I think it's really even hard for me to be like, yeah, you know, I have like I found my birth family, but I'm still kind of like, well, what is family? And like family seems to kind of just screw you over a lot. So yeah, it's tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can hear how tough this is because you've also said that yet another big thing that you needed to talk about was a taboo topic the idea that you could actually find people and not get connected to them not get a response letter and potentially you know unfortunately lose your biological mother like these are all things that are part of the adoption reunion journey potentially but they're not ones that people necessarily openly spoke about, it sounds like, during this time of re- attempted reunion for you. So yet another thing in your life that you couldn't speak about <laughs> and didn't have any sort of connection to people to, to 
get support for it. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like it was really tough as well, like you said, to be reaching out but have no response, right? You know she's out there and as the baby in the family that that they didn't want to reach back out to you and and you haven't made a connection. What is it like to just sit in this space of trying to maybe wait for a sibling connection to be a personal a face-to-face connection? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're all so similar (laughs) and I think we all have a lot of the same, you know, faults and everything. But I think, you know, when I had to come out to them as trans, because that was a very hard thing to explain, at least it felt very hard and scary to share and with them to be like, yeah, okay, you're like, if you bring this up with your mom, your mom's going to be like, why didn't it give birth to a boy? So I had to like explain like, yeah, I was, you know, assigned female at birth and, but now I'm trans and they were like, oh, cool. That's perfect. Cool. That's like not an issue at all. And yeah, yeah. So we've always been, you know, I think we like check in on each other every once in a while. And I think it's hard, you know, especially as adults to then, you know, build that emotional sibling connection again with people that you are kind of strangers and i think that's really tough and it's been really tough for me and i think you know kind of moving from a place of you know just kind of digital communication to in person i think you know they're all just so close yeah especially because they're all just so close in age so they very much have a mentality of like yeah family over everything and i think for me it feels i kind of just like don't belong and like yeah we look like each other we have a lot of similar things in common but i think at the end of the day i'm kind of just like yeah i'm still not like part of this family which i think is really tough so i think i kind of you know question that a lot and just i think it's hard to you know, see them doing things on social media together. And it just feels kind of like I found them, but like, even still, that's, that's like part of the equation, but then there's still this like emotional bond and like familial bond that they have. And it's so hard to even get into that or find out how to even approach that. Yeah. It's an inner circle that you want to be part of but it feels impenetrable and it may not Mm -hmm. be. It's one of those things where people, they do what comes naturally to them and, Mm -hmm. and they've naturally been around each other. And unfortunately you were not. And so it's introducing a new ingredient into the mix that, you know, this recipe has been around for years. Right. So it's gotta be tough because what I'm hearing is you're in between families you were challenged at home and coming out with your sexuality to your parents has created this years-long rift i think i just heard you say you had some challenges with your siblings as well and now you've found siblings found biological parents and unfortunately one passed never responded to your letter your biological father is not sort of reciprocating your contact and you found these siblings and they're not inviting you into the circle either. It's like you're just a man standing in the middle alone, which, I mean, that sounds really, really tough. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it's a tough place to be. It's a tough place to, yeah, I think want to experience positive family experience, but yeah, kind of just be in the middle of looking at a bunch of other families around me doing it. And yeah. And then kind of wonder like, yeah, like what's wrong with me? And like, mm-hmm. I'm the like main thing in all of these equations and like, maybe it's something wrong with me and stuff. So I think it's really hard not to kind of go to that place of self blame. And I think it's also hard too, cause for my siblings, like I was a total secret, like they had no idea. And so I think they're also going through their own stuff of like, yeah, I thought we were a really close, you know, family and that we told each other everything. And then they learned there's like a full blooded other sibling out there. And so I think they felt kind of betrayed by their parents a little bit. Cause yeah, that's a huge thing to keep secret and a really, really close knit. Being trapped in between families, not feeling like he belongs anywhere is very tough for Gabe. My sense was that he felt a lot of rejection. His feelings about family were anchored in the trauma of what adoption can inflict on a person, and his gender and sexuality exploration added complicating factors to an already challenging mix of life circumstances. I was really curious about where Gabe gets support, how he finds positivity, and how he's doing now amidst all that he's been through so far. Positivity can be very hard to... Fine. I think when you're you spent your life with a lot of closed doors and the doors getting slammed in your face. But yeah, you know, I have a really strong friend connection and I think my friend circle and my really, really close best friends who I've known for a very, very long time. And I think, you know, we hold each other accountable and responsible and kind of provide that support where, you know, I can go to them talking about anything and being vulnerable and they do not slam doors and they do not judge and anything like that. So yeah, so I think that helped a lot to kind of just have peers who maybe don't understand adoption all the time, but who are at least willing to kind of sit with me in it and all the complicated, uncomfortable stuff that happens sometimes. So yeah, so that definitely helps a lot. And I think, you know, also just being in adoptee spaces helps a ton where I can kind of just go to spaces and be like, yeah, I'm experiencing this and have everyone kind of be like, yep, yeah, been there, done that. Like, that's a very normal thing for adoptees to go through. And I think, you know, kind of going through the search journey as especially trans, I think specifically, I think there were a lot of questions that I had about like, yeah, how do you request, you know, legal documents if your name is now different than the original document? Like, how do you prove that, you know, this person who is now saying like he's a man, but he's saying that he's also this like female person, like, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think by going through that and kind of like writing the rule book and guidebook about how to do a lot of that stuff, I then was like, yeah, we actually need to have a space specifically for LGBT adoptees because, you know, I think a lot of the times, yeah, we like don't have a space to talk about like, what is that like to not only be adopted, but then maybe be adopted into a very religious family that like is not okay with LGBT people or to navigate transitioning during reunion or anything like that. So I think in kind of making that space and kind of opening up those 
avenues for people to talk about those things. It's been really healing and it helps a lot to kind of be like, yeah, this isn't, you know, about me and this is not, I didn't do anything wrong. This is just kind of a inherent issue when you are hiding documents and you make kind of processes really, really difficult for people to go through. So mm-hmm. uh, finding out, you know, who they are. So yeah, it's been really, I think I get a lot of positivity from that and just seeing adoptees really just thrive and do well and share their story. And yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I'm glad to hear that you've got that support network around. It's funny. Sometimes you look for the support and love from family and you can't get it, but your friends buoy you in ways that you never could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And you realize Mm -hmm. that there is such strong support among the people who love you and they may not necessarily be family. That's a really powerful thing to attach to. and, And I'm glad you have it. One sort of final question. I know that coming out is challenging emotionally for people. What, and especially you as trans, I feel that from the outside, it's probably even a little bit more challenging. What do you, Mm -hmm. what words would you share to someone else out there who's going through what you've been through? What would you say to them to help them along? I would say to just live authentically and that you know yourself best and that nothing beats, you know, being able to live authentically and feel good with yourself and that, yes, there are going to be people who have opinions about it and those people will always exist and your relationships might change and that's okay. But I think, you know, it's so important to live authentically and yeah, just really let your full self shine through and not let yourself be diminished by, you know, other people's opinions about who they think you should be or anything like that. So that would probably be my biggest piece of advice. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what about to the parents who are receiving this news and are trying to navigate it themselves? What do you recommend to parents who are trying to figure out how to support their own kids? I would say, you know, it's definitely a listening time and that you're allowed to have your feelings, but that, you know, for someone to tell you who they truly are is sometimes the most vulnerable time where they're just showing you all of their cards. And so sometimes it's just a time to listen and that even if you don't agree or anything like that, just feel really honored that someone felt like they could be that vulnerable with you. And I think just, you know, kind of shower them with empathy and compassion and love and acceptance if you can. I think those are just really important things for people to have kind of in general in life. But I think especially when they're being that vulnerable, it's really, really crucial. Yeah. Yeah. You just hit on something that is so important and I hadn't really focused on, I sort of knew it inherently, but I would have never said it the way you did that be honored that someone came to you with this life altering news. They could have gone to Mm -hmm. anybody. You could have been on the outside of receiving that news, but they chose to share it with you because there's some level of trust, respect, love, what have you, and that you should be in a space of listening 
trying to accept and supporting this person because they came to you. That's really, really powerful to think about what someone has honored you with. This secret that they've been carrying, they've now trusted you to carry too. I'm glad you said that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gabe, whoa. My goodness, my man. This is <laughs> wild, dude. I, I'm. <laughs> I've told so many people about the show. I tell so many people that adoptee journeys are just absolutely fascinating for the array of experiences that people have lived through. And you have brought yet another perspective to what an adoptee could be challenged with. And I'm so thankful for you sharing it here with the audience and with me. This is just, it's been fascinating. I've learned a lot and I wish you all the best. I hope you get all the love in the world from your friends and I'm hopeful that you're able to make a connection to your family too. Oh, thanks, Damon. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate, yeah, just being able to provide another perspective of the what it's like for a queer trans adoptee who's transracial to also go through a reunion. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Unbelievable. Thank you so much for sharing, Gabe. Take care. All the best to you. Thanks, Damon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> hey, it's me. Gabe's story really showed me a lot of what adoptee resilience looks like. He's a black man who grew up in a white community. Gabe is a transgender man who had to come out to his adoptive family and his biological family. His reunion revealed that he was the baby among full-blood siblings and he had been a living secret. And Gabe's outreach to his birth mother was left unanswered because she died from cancer before they could ever meet and connect. The whole journey has left Gabe feeling like he's in the middle of two families, questioning what's wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with Gabe, and if you can relate to his journey in any way, there is nothing wrong with you either. Gabe said you should live your life as your authentic self, and don't let anyone try to tell you who they think you should be. You can only be uniquely you, and the world is a better place for the slice of diversity you bring to it. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you've found something in Gabe's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? I've got one more show left in this season, but before I go, just a reminder, you can follow me on Instagram at Damon L. Davis and follow the podcast at WAI Really. If you would like to share the story of your adoption and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. And as always, I hope you'll leave a five-star review for the show on your podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts to help others to find the show too.